The opioid crisis has affected communities across the country, including rural America. From overdose deaths to broken families to lost jobs and more, opioid misuse has deep and lasting impacts on those affected by it. So, how do rural communities combat this epidemic? With public education, alternative pain management options, and the will to fight an uphill battle. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 45 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. You know, Rachel, the opioid crisis in America is something we really haven't touched on yet. Uh, something that is really impactful in each community uh, in our nation. And uh, it affects our rural health care systems. It affects our rural communities. It, ref- it, it impacts out- health outcomes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I think this is a very special program. That's right. And today we are talking with someone who is passionate about ending this epidemic and is taking matters into his own hands in his hometown. Yes, he is. Our guest today is J.J. Fontana, another J.J. Fontana, CRNA at the Center for Pain Management right here at Hillsdale Hospital. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, J.J. Thanks for having me. So to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your work as a pain management CRNA? Sure. I'm uh, J.J. Fontana. Thank you for the nice introduction. Um, I'm a CRNA, which is a certified registered nurse anesthetist or anesthesiologist. And um, I've completed a pain management fellowship program after completing my CRNA training, which is a three-year um, postgraduate program. I practiced for about 12 years doing anesthesia and in 2019-2020 completed a uh, fellowship in um, chronic pain management from the University of South Florida. Uh, One of the facilities that I uh, did some clinical work was Hillsdale Hospital with my colleague Andy Bigner. And uh, the hospital pain management program was growing. They needed uh, another provider. Um, so you guys were gracious enough to offer me a position, and I've been here for about the the, the last year. And doing a fantastic job, by the way, Rachel. Yes, uh, yes. Very so excited. much so that the community heard that JJ was giving injections <laughs> oh, over at the pain yes. management clinic, mm-hmm. and they were thinking it was uh, Hodshire instead yep. of Fontana. Yep, not the case. <laughs> no, this not JJ the case. doesn't yep. give so the shots. So your reputation precedes you, even if it was uh, misunderstood yes. or Absolutely. misplaced. Absolutely. Yeah, and no. when someone says JJ fired my daughter, I say not this JJ. It was JJ Fontana. <laughs> so it works yep. out both ways. And when right? they say yes, my uh, that injection hurt last time. That was JJ. That was JJ Hodshire. That's all. Awesome. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, on each of our programs, uh, we do something with uh, this where we start with a why. Mm -hmm. And um, we've established now who you are, what your background is, and the great work that you do here. Um, But we want to know, and we we dive into this every episode, uh, because we want to get to know our guests a little bit better, and we want our listeners to as well. So, J.J. Fontana, what is your why? What motivates you, and what gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, uh, from a work perspective uh, or career or, you know, job satisfaction perspective, um, I really enjoy doing pain management. I don't – anybody that's out there that is uh, considering visiting a pain clinic for the first time, um, trying to form a connection with who their provider is going to be because this is is a a relationship that can be multi-year – um, uh, for a very long time, you can have this relationship, uh, patient to the provider relationship. Um, mine started, um, with my mother who happened to suffer from chronic pain. Mm. She had a, she had a very, uh, 
complex back surgery. Um, and uh, years later, ended up having chronic pain issues. Um, it debilitated her, and, and still she's, mm. she suffers with it. So uh, from a personal perspective, that's, that's really impacted my life. Um, I see a lot of my mom in uh, a lot of my patients, and um, I think it helps drive uh, the relationship that I'm able to, to form with my patients and try to help them start to feel better. Um, it's, a, it's a long journey for a lot of these folks, and you're there to help guide, guide them through it um, as best you can. But uh, so that, that's been a big part of it is my, you know, my fam, fam, family situation um, that's helped me get into pain management. Absolutely. Thank you. So, JJ, we know that rural communities are clearly not immune from the opioid epidemic. Um, Can you give us some background on the opioid epidemic and what leads people to misusing prescription pain relievers? I think there are a lot of misconceptions Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. who an opioid user might be. How Mm -hmm. does this happen? Right. You know, um, a lot of the the opioid um, misuse has occurred from the early 2000s till recently. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past couple of years, we've, uh, as, a, as a community of our healthcare community, medical community, uh, people that are prescribing opioids have, have uh, really kind of swung the other way as far as not prescribing opioids unless they're absolutely necessary. You know, I was watching a, uh, a um, show on I think it was Netflix or, or one of the streaming uh, websites that it was called Dope Sick. And it really goes through how this occurs. So, mm. you know, they, they take a typical person, they're injured. Um, and at the time when opioids were, uh, weren't considered as detrimental as they are now, um, they, were, they were utilized often. Um, the message behind prescribing opioids was absolutely opposite of what it is today. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, if you're a primary care provider back in 2000 and you're you're receiving a message that opioids are good for patients and at the time that was the message that, that they understood and that was delivered to them mm-hmm. and patients felt better. Unfortunately, the way opioids work is um, they have a ceiling usually. In, mm-hmm. in most cases, they have a ceiling of, of how effective they are. Um, and for what types of pain they're effective for. So um, with that, patients were prescribed opioids for things that they wouldn't be prescribed opioids for for today, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and using, uh, using the medication for a lot longer than they, they would be today. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, um, the, a lot of patients went from you know, uh, a kind of a moderate opioid to stronger opioids, and then when their opioid supply or prescription was um, stopped or, or tried to wean down, they weren't able to wean, be weaned properly. And then you saw a lot of patients go from, you know, a strong opioid to, to heroin mm-hmm. um, or street drugs um, or drugs that they, opioids that they acquired on the street, um, which leads us to today, which is the, the use of fentanyl that's being mixed in with heroin mm-hmm. or, or fentanyl that's um, being adulterated and, and sold as an injectable street drug. Mm-hmm. And her, uh, excuse me, fentanyl is uh, extremely more potent than heroin. And, and that's why kind of in the last year, two years, uh, we've seen such a high overdose rate, maybe longer than that. But recently we've seen such a mm-hmm. high overdose rate from 
from street injection, uh, street opioid injectable drugs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of a, a, a brief history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, w- right now, we're seeing um, uh, opioids being tapered, um, which, uh, uh, you know, patients that have been on opioids are now not able to, to – to get them as readily. And that's not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing, but patients oftentimes will have uh, pain that mm-hmm. needs to be addressed. So when you have a fellowship-trained um, pain management provider um, in your town or close to you, you can visit them because they have the specialized expertise in not only interventional procedures that can help them alleviate their pain or minimize or lessen their pain, but also giving them – ad. Uh, alternatives to opioids in a, in a medication sense um, that aren't as, you know, harmful to them that they can take over a longer period of time mm-hmm. and help them with their pain. So mm-hmm. um, that's why it's nice to have uh, a pain clinic or having pain clinics that are, you know, appropriately staffed with personnel, providers that, that can treat these folks. So people who end up having this addiction Mm -hmm. to opioids, I think a lot of us probably have a maybe a preconceived notion in our head of what type of person um, becomes an addict for anything, right? But Mm -hmm. with opioids in particular, we've seen that it really spans all demographics, right? It can, yes. So um, the, the thing about opioids is that it actually changes your physiology. It changes your cerebral cortex and how that operates. Wow. So um, patients and people that have been on opioids for a long time are, you know, opioids are very addictive, obviously, but right. they're addictive for cert- for specific reasons. And that's how the drug interacts on a pharmacological basis on patients' physiology. So um, patients get tolerant and they have to, you know, to get, to get pain relief, they have to take more and mm-hmm. they have to take more. So um, not only is it physiologically the body needs more of it, but it also changes patients' thoughts and, and perceptions and mm-hmm. what they think they need as well. So it's a complex, it's a complex interaction between the actual pain control mm-hmm. and changing, you know, patients' cognition. So does it, I mean, for a patient who, say whatever their injury was, Mm -hmm. has healed, but in the process, they became addicted to opioids, Mm -hmm. the way that their brain is changing, is that causing them to still have pain? Absolutely. So something that's interesting about opioids and and why there's a ceiling to it is there's a phenomenon where you, if you take more opioids, there's actually the increased sensitivity, um, sensitization of for patients to have pain. So oh, okay. in essence, they become more sensitive to pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, just, it's you know, and this is a rudimentary explanation for it, but sure. they become more sensitive to pain and thus are in pain more and thus right. potentially taking and more opioids. And then it's a cycle. Yeah. So, um, you know, tapering is, is a, is a, is a priority for a lot of healthcare providers, not only because it's opioids in certain amounts for a majority of patients, not all patients, but a majority of patients um, actually can give them more pain. Mm. Mm -hmm. So um, 
And that's one of the reasons why we're trying to get patients less sensitized, i.e. have less opioids in their system. So their their body can kind of recover from the amount of opioids they have in their in their in their system. So, so JJ, let's let's talk about the shift. So late nineties, early two thousands, mm-hmm. uh, patients presented to primary care physicians prescribed regularly. Um, you know, and there was no limits on 30 day supplies. I mean, you'd get, you could go in for a six month supply. Right. You really could. Mm-hmm. And you would get, um, you know, and when we talk about opioids, we're talking, you know, here's the common names, Vicodin and mm-hmm. all of those types of things, but it would not be uncommon to mm-hmm. get uh, some of those type of prescriptions, you know, specifically a work related injury mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Absolutely. And, um, as those individuals have, you know, now two decades, um, the shift is very hard on the patients. Absolutely. Because for a decade or two, they have been told, I can get it, I can get it, I can get it, I'm getting it. Yep. Quantity, quantity, quantity. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, the awareness comes out across America about the opioid epidemic that has everyone questioning now uh, the prescription of it. And you saw two segues. Uh, the first segue was uh, healthcare in rural communities and in primary care offices really got scared. Because they were hearing about all of the bad outcomes, uh, the addictions, and they felt somewhat responsible for it. But the second pathway was now we have to talk to the patient about getting them off, and that's not easy. And so when we talked about the shift, um, we have created, and we have to accept this responsibility as healthcare, we created the situation where it became readily available. And good people, Rachel, who I've known in my careers in law enforcement, mm-hmm. in the court systems, who are good, intended, great people, good friends of mine, who unfortunately found themselves in those situations. Right. And now we as a medical community have to figure out a way around it. So then comes the intervention of pain management. Mm-hmm. And you're only treating the, the, the source of the pain. How do you still tackle the addiction? Well, um, there's, you know, we, we talked about tapering, um, and, and the idea with tapering is to decrease that sensitization, decrease the amount of opioids they're having. So, uh, ideally they are, um, they're, they're less sensitive to pain. Um, and something else to, to talk about is really the providers that were prescribing opioids and, you know, and then there's providers and physicians that are are, are the DEA is coming in, and yeah. they, you know, they're they're these these folks are are in a rock and a hard place, or were. So um, we were seeing that where you know we came out with new guidelines of opioid um, prescribing, and patients, you know, these providers didn't want to cut them off, so they they kept prescribing for yeah. them. So to answer your question, how do we how do we move to that? There's really uh, two ways. We need to get patients that are to taper that that can taper and off or a much lower dose um, of opioids. Uh, and and then there's interventional procedures that really can help. Mm-hmm. Um, we offer different procedures that aren't just steroid injections um, that can provide patients long, you know long term pain relief. relief yeah. That's really nice to be able to do. Um, and then you know on on, a, on pa- those patients that you spoke to that are on decades of opioids that have had you know a complete brain rewiring from that period time period of of being on opioids, there's medication assisted treatment. So there's you know I know methadone has a bad uh, a bad rap, mm-hmm. but there's also a drug called buprenorphine 
Um, these are drugs that um, that are used for medication-assisted treatment mm-hmm. for those patients that are going to be on opioids for, right. for a long, long right. time, right. Um, especially buprenorphine. I mean, they treat pain. They have uh, a, a mitigated um, risk profile, um, and they're they're often controlled in a way that uh, patients are given a limit, more limited supply. Um, but it allows patients to to have that opioid physiological need filled, but also not having to get it on the street, and also to be able to you know function day to day. So now we're mandated to have contracts in place uh, as primary care. So as an individual comes in and is on a long-term opioids, they sign contracts, mm-hmm. uh, they have mitigation efforts. But, you know, then I've seen another shift, JJ. Now the shift is where I do have, even in our own facility, where patients are either afraid to take the medication post-surgery mm-hmm. uh, or any other major uh, incident or injury afraid that they're going to get addicted. Yep. And I, I think the message is you don't have to live in pain. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And so those are short-term, right? When we talk about post-surgical, you know, it's it's to get you through those tough moments. Right. The doctor is not prescribing you like the old days where you get six months supply. Right. You get, you know, three, four days supply. Mm-hmm. And then you have to call back. And then you have to you have to attest to the fact that you're using it for that reason. Right. And so we we see that happen. And we see that now um, on, on the inpatient side, though, you know, you have physicians who are worried about handing out too much prescription. Mm-hmm. And right. so now the battle, and this is I get it all the time, is I was in pain and my ex would not put in the name there, yeah. physician, surgeon, whatever it is, would not prescribe the uh, the opioids that I needed. Right. And so now we're at this very, very sad situation of this balancing act, right? Mm-hmm. Where patients have an expectation, physicians feel they're going to get the crunch from their DEA license pulled. And there, there's some serious, uh, you know, oversight that FDA has on, mm-hmm. on these types of things and that the DEA, a federal agency, come into and then CMS gets involved. Mm-hmm. And then when that happens, those providers in rural communities where 70, 80% of their payer mix is Medicaid, Medicare, they lose their funding. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot on the line for Absolutely. physicians to balance that line. So when people come in, individuals, uh, for services, the question is, should they be afraid of opioids after they've had surgery, get injured, et cetera? Should that be an alarm to them? Mm, you know, opioids have a place for sure. Their opioids do have a place. They have a place um, in the post-surgical setting. Um, although I'll, I'll, from the time I initially trained in anesthesia, um, to my last time doing anesthesia, uh, it, it's 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 changed a lot. So there's there's a movement for opioid free anesthesia. Um, I think, but I think opioids have a place. Um, that place is a usually a short term usage of opioids because of the things that we spoke about with the sensitization and the and the and you know the brain rewiring. Um, y- People just need to be judicious um, they, and understand and have a perspective that where opioids fit into their particular healthcare episode. So, yes, they, 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 are da- they can be dangerous, but they are appropriate in mm-hmm. a, a wide variety of cases. If they're, the patients have a perspective, use judiciously and understand that, um, that they can be dangerous, mm-hmm. but if used in moderation, 
are can be very helpful. You know, I just want to put an infomercial in here real quick, Rachel. <laughs> uh, in my previous life, I served in law enforcement, as you know, and mm-hmm. investigated many, many times, my deputies did, cases in which the patient, elderly, grandmother, grandpa, have been prescribed the opioid. Mm-hmm. And where do they put those opioids? Do you think they hide them? They don't. No, they're you sitting them in their the, medicine cabinet. Or they're sitting on the table by Absolutely. their recliner in the living room. And what we watched happen a decade ago was the distribution and sale of grandma and grandpa's mom and dad's opioids. Because, again, it was commonly given to them prescribed. So the, the infomercial today is uh, when you get those prescriptions, lock them up. Mm-hmm. Those are very addictive drugs. And if we want to curtail this, a lot of the black market that we see um, happens in two ways. Number one, it is not synthesized drugs. Um, You see manufacturing of drugs with other compounds, which is extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the second area is they do sell mom and dad's, grandma and grandpa's drugs. And Mm -hmm. it's it's a market. Um, So I think you would say, as a clinician, Mm -hmm. having been in this industry the majority of your career, to those patients who are getting these opioids because you need them for the appropriate places you've just described. Lock those things up. Mm-hmm. You know, take caution because that's how we're going to curtail some of this war that we're fighting right now out on the streets. And it's it's literally happening mm-hmm. right now. I mean, the cost of one pill, $25, $30, $35 mm-hmm. um, because of the market retail value of those. Very, very concerning for us today. So that's the infomercial of the day, Rachel. Well, and my understanding, too, is that the, the opioid addictions are relatively um, easy to conceal at certain stages, right? So a lot of times people think, oh, well, no one in my house is addicted to opioids, so right. it's fine. But I mean, you know, I've heard stories of, of people who are over at someone's house for a dinner party, and when they go to the bathroom, they dig through the medicine cabinet mm-hmm. because yep. they are addicted and they know that that's an option. So yep. a lot of times, you know, to your point, it is very important to do that even if you don't think you need to right. um, because anyone who is in your home at any time who is addicted could yes. be seeking that type of, yeah. that type of um, drug. Yep. So, J.J., now let's transition a little bit to pain management clinics and really what they offer because they do provide an alternative to opioids and therefore can help decrease um, the use of opioids and opioid misuse in general. So um, tell us about what pain management clinics offer. And it's not just an opportunity to get people off of opioids, but to keep them from opioids in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, pain can occur in in a lot of different ways. we generally, you know, when a patient first experiences pain, whatever whatever it is um, that needs to be treated, it's it's generally treated with medication now. And that, mm-hmm. you know, the the general statistic is, let's say, to low back pain. Um, most patients that most people that experience low back pain will it'll resolve um, within mm-hmm. you know six six to ten weeks. Um, if it doesn't resolve, um, that's when. You know, if they if they've been taking over the counter medicine uh, like ibuprofen and Aleve and, and Tylenol, acetaminophen, that's if it doesn't resolve, that's when to start thinking about doing something more. Mm-hmm. And when I say something more, it's you know uh, going to physical therapy or chiropractor, doing more involved exercises or yoga, uh, stretching, or come see a, a pain management provider. Mm-hmm. Um, the the issue with patients that are in pain is similar to opioids. 
patients that are in pain for a long time, they get sensitized to, to pain as well. So a pain that may have been a rating of a three or four, um, that same level of pain a year later could be a five or six. So then, are their nerves just kind of worn down in a way? No, they actually the other. They, they, the nerves and the transmission of pain uh, becomes easier. Oh, right. So okay. it's almost yes. like they're more excitable rather than right. worn down. So the, the transmission of pain becomes a lot more facile in, uh, in a patient that is chronically in pain or mm-hmm. in pain for a long amount of time. So what a, uh, what a pain clinic can offer is the ability to, to um, help with that pain process uh, to get patients back to a, a, a reset. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of one of the ways to, to look at it. Unfortunately, that's not what we see. We see a lot of patients that, you know, they're, they're a little bit older, they have a few years under their belts, and mm-hmm. we're dealing with degeneration or, or lumbar spine issues that, that you know, might have been easier to, to get a better, uh, a better, you know, result if we would have seen them 20 years earlier, right. uh, if they were in pain at that time. So um, not to say that we can't help patients that are, you know, in their 70s and 80s and 90s. Uh, that's not the case at all. But um, patients that are in pain for a longer amount of time, it just it's, it takes more work to get them feeling better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, JJ, I think, you know, when we hear the word pain management and we hear pain management centers, I can tell you some of the misnomers mm-hmm. that happen in communities is, oh, my doctor stopped prescribing. I'm going to the pain clinic mm-hmm. to get drugs. I've often heard that. Mm-hmm. People have told me, I'm going to see your guy because so-and-so cut me. And I'm like, well, you're not going to find much success there. Generally speaking, pain clinics, you're not prescribing, not, period. Nope. Not not at this facility. So what we're seeing is um, kind of broken down into two ways. There's, you know, you have, you have kind of chiropractor-run pain centers, um, mm-hmm. but you see pain management and from a medical side or, or, or more formal healthcare entity is um, interventional, which is what we do. Sure. Uh, the meaning we do procedures for right. patients. Right. Um, you see a combination of the two, uh, meaning that we uh, there, there's providers that, that offer medication management, um, which I think is certainly beneficial. Um, at our facility, we like to be in contact with a patient's primary care provider and we see we we think that it's a more seamless um, interaction to get to be on the same page with what the primary care mm-hmm. provider is. If we have certainly if a patient we think would benefit from a medication or a combination of medications, we directly contact that primary care provider and talk to them. And then you uh, on the other end you have you have medication management pain centers, mm-hmm. and that's you know oh, that's okay. where we where we saw you know the. It, the mo- the more kind of unsavory mm-hmm. ass parts of pain management yeah. when they were prescribing opioids. Oh yeah, that's yeah. not now. No. That's not really the environment we see. But um, certainly earlier in the two thousands, there were opioid based pain management centers. You see a lot. You know where where I'm moving to. Um, we the most the majority of the pain centers are interventional only. Right. Um, so, uh, it's just a matter of how it's set up as an entity. Right. So JJ, give me your best, the best case in which you were able to administer some interventional therapies and the patient responded really well. Can you, can you think of a time when you did this? Now I can give you my own example. Sure. You know, I, I've had the chance to, to use our pain management Mm -hmm. center, uh, and uh, Andrew Bigner, uh, had uh, taken my 
number 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, headaches down to a zero uh, through time. You nice. know, it, it took uh, a few visits, mm-hmm. but I, I know what that feels like firsthand. Right. Uh, I know what a uh, migraine feels like, mm-hmm. um, but I also know what can happen when you have some of that intervention. So can you tell our listeners of a story that you, that maybe one of your favorite ones uh, that, that you've had recently? Um, you know, and I'm not, not trying to be dismissive, but I mean, we, we're not miracle workers, but we see a lot of success stories, you know, um, we, we see a lot of success stories that might be somebody, um, that is able to go hang out with their grandkids and Mm -hmm. do a hike, or that might be someone that was on opioids and now is not, that might be somebody that is able to do the things that they are able to enjoy. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be curt, but I mean, we, we see a lot of success stories. Oh, absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? It is. And it's, you know, it it is, uh, it's very powerful and it's very rewarding. Not everybody is fixed, you know, but we, we are able to help a lot of people. So, so I had someone stop me in the corridor of the hallways, uh, probably a month ago, Mm they grabbed my arm and said, JJ, I want to let you know I have a favorite JJ here, and <laughs> recounted his story about how when he was finished with your treatments, maybe one or two, how better he was. Mm-hmm. He had tried other places, and so those stories are amazing. Mm-hmm. But you chose to write me a dear John letter, <laughs> a dear JJ, JJ your, yep. yeah, dear JJ <laughs> letter. So you're soon departing us here at Hillsdale Hospital, which uh, for us is is. A break in our hearts, but I think you're you've got bigger aspirations uh, for impacting uh, some other communities. You're returning to your uh, hometown in uh, Washington State. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to open your own pain management clinic. Is that yep. correct? That's, that's and correct. all right. So what led you from letting me write those checks, JJ, <laughs> to wanting to get your own? You tell me. So what you know? What led you to want to do this? I was thinking the you know the seven hour days and having an hour long lunch. I was just yeah. kind of tired of that. You're just tired <laughs> of that. You're tired of the week off. The yeah, week off. You know no, that flight. Yeah. So it's no. I, I in in all seriousness, I appreciate the opportunity that you guys have given me. It's it's been good to see. It's been uh, a great experience being here. Um, it's a great pain clinic. I think um, we do great work. Um, Mark McC- uh, Mark McClanahan, who is our new uh, fellowship training provider mm-hmm. that is coming on, is going to do a fantastic job. I'm looking forward uh, to hearing yes. about his successes. We are too. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, it's family driven. I have I have some kiddos. I have three kiddos actually. And wow. hi Sophia, hi Johnny, <laughs> hi Gray. Age uh, 14, 11, and nine. All right. I'm and, going to refer you to pain management. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're yeah. the wonderful ages. <laughs> exactly. So, um, no, they're, they're, I've, I've been traveling back and forth. So it's, it's tough. Yeah, it it's is. Tough. It's, uh, this has been a great job. If this job was in Spokane, it would be penultimate. Yeah. But, um, so where are you going? Spokane, Washington. Spokane. Yep. And you're going to start on your own or are you going to join a group? What, um, you, I'm on my own actually. You're on your own. So, yeah. You're um, going to bring someone else on board eventually. Is um, that your goal? I, I will. So okay. um, I'm starting small um, yeah. and, uh, you know, in private practice, building up a referral base. There's there's some there's Huge. a handful of yeah. providers there. Um, but I think that there's still plenty of room, especially after seeing, you know, a town of 8000 people uh, like in the Hillsdale and having such a robust pain practice here. I think that there's room for it. Um, I think the model of, of doing what we do here in a private setting, um, will work well. 
Good. Um, so it's 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 been a good experience, but um, it's a family move for sure. Understand it, but we're going to miss you. Thank okay? you. Absolutely understand it. So for rural communities in particular, um, you know, I think access, we talk about access to health care and access to comprehensive health care, a variety of services is really important. Um, and I do just want to brag again on the work that you and Andy do over at the pain clinic because you guys have people coming from all over the tri-state area mm-hmm. to our pain clinic here at Hillsdale Hospital that um, our patients you're serving. But um, when you, you know, go back and start your own uh, pain management clinic, when you think about rural communities, what makes this strategy of having access to pain clinics so important, kind of back to the opioid epidemic, and what other strategies are having a positive impact? You know, um, well, thank you for the thank you for the compliment. Um, it's uh, rural. You know, rural healthcare has always um, found challenges in providing good care, which I think a lot of them do. I've worked in several rural hospitals and. I would have my care there in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. especially compared to working in an urban center. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's a it's a we often would find in a in a rural hospital that I was in, um, patients would choose to come to the smaller hospital, which was forty five minutes away mm-hmm. from a, a large town. Sure, so not not totally isolated, but not the large city. And they would come, and you know, they would get great surgical care, they would get great anesthesia care, they would get great nursing care, and great ancillary staff care. Um, and I think that really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so to speak to the, uh, the availability of pain management in a small town, I think that's, uh, it's even more important. Um, it's hard for patients that are in a lot of pain to make it to an hour and a half, two hours mm-hmm. away. Um, likewise, I think that the care that Andy and I and Mark provide at this point, we have, we have really good relationships with our, with our patients. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see when I'm in a private, my private practice, how I'm able to, to really be able to do that as well mm-hmm. um, with the other kind of, you know, challenges that private practice brings um, to be able to spend the time with, with the patients. Because I, yeah. really, I really think that makes a huge it difference. Does. It makes it a does. huge difference. So being able to provide pain management services in a, in a small town, I think is important because otherwise patients, they, they wouldn't know that that's options available to them. Mm -hmm. And it really can be a life changer for them. And, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of patients haven't even heard of a pain management center. They Mm -hmm. don't, they don't know what to do or on, you know, on the flip side of what you were, uh, what JJ was speaking about earlier is they think we just dole out pills and we don't do that at all. So, um, it's, it's nice to have that awareness for a whole group of, of a population that didn't even know we existed before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the word spreads and then you get a small little tiny hospital and we're getting referrals from all over. All over. Mm-hmm. Big. My goodness. Yeah. So all it, over it's state. nice. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, they're probably going to be flying out to, to see, you know, patients, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. You tell me how that goes. <laughs> now, if I'm a listener today and I'm thinking, you know what, what I've heard you know, I'm suffering from this chronic pain. I found myself just unable to even get out of bed in the morning. What is a typical referral process? Can someone walk in right off the street and say, I want to be seen? Or does it take a physician referral? You know, we're, we we work on a referral system now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, and that, that stemmed from when uh, you and Andy initially opened the, the practice where people were self-referring. Mm-hmm. And they were self-referring for medication management. So... 
through a necessity. It's become through um, through a provider uh, referral. So generally, we get referrals from primary care providers, like their prim- family practice doc or family practice nurse practitioner or family practice PA, physician's assistant. We get orthopedic um, surgery referrals, neuro, excuse me, we get neurosurgery referrals and we get neurology referrals. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, we, we like to work on a referral basis. It just kind of sets up the patient for a better experience because mm-hmm. we can contact their referring provider and right. get all the information we need. So we're not just working with a blank, blank slate right when yeah. they get here. So if you're looking for a referral for, for the pain clinic, um, you can talk to your primary care provider if you um, if you have one. Um if you don't have one, call the office and um, we will try to work with you to get you, um, whoever's seeing you, to get a referral for your care with us. So if you're listening today and you're in the Spokane, Washington area, <laughs> uh, you can go visit J.J. Fontana after January. Yep, and the name of your clinic? Is Inland Pain Specialist. Inland Pain Specialist. Yes. Sounds phenomenal. J.J., it has been an absolute pleasure Absolutely. to have you on the program yep. today and to have you as a partner of ours. I'm going to tell you, it, it's it's awesome to hear in the community the praise and feedback I get about your services, mm-hmm. truly, and uh, the tremendous good you've done for our patients and our employees who come to see you as Absolutely. well as yep. patients. Uh, you, you've healed a lot of folks, and I say that with all sincerity. Um, we've watched people who tell a remarkable story about a true recovery. So thank you for your commitment and for all that you do. Absolutely. Thank you. Like, again, uh, thank you for having me. It's been a great experience. I would recommend seeing the pain clinic here uh, to anybody. Um, I'd also like to just make a comment about the hospital leadership with you and Mark, especially. Um I said especially Mark. Yeah. Did you catch that? <laughs> Mark, okay. especially. Mark especially. Then there's JJ. <laughs> it's so, okay. Both I get of it. You, all yeah, time. you know. So both of you, both of you guys, are, I think you do a great job leading the facility. I've worked in several facilities before, and um, large and small. And um, it, it's you bring a, a great perspective, and I think you have built. Um, a great leadership team, and and you have a great hospital system here. Well, thanks, JJ. So, that, that means a lot to yeah. me. It really does. So thank you, and thanks for your service. We appreciate it. Absolutely. So before we close today, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. And now you've come from urban to rural, now back to urban, okay? So you've had your experience with rural. Um, We want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories from a rule that now you're shaking your head no. So it's got to be PG-13 right. for this. It can't involve cow tipping okay. or anything of that nature. But do you have a story you could share with us that really just drives it home? Yeah. Well, you know, you, when you when you speak about rural, this this was this was funny. This is when I was doing anesthesia, actually, in a, in a really small community hospital. It was, it was about 2,500 people in this town. And so we do OB anesthesia, meaning we put labor epidurals in patients yeah. that are having babies. So I get called in to do an epidural, and I'm talking to the patient and getting ready to do it. And I'm like, oh, how many babies you had? And she's like, this is my 13th baby. And I said, oh, great. So how did your other epidurals go? Oh, this is my first one. Oh, <laughs> oh my word. Like, okay, okay. F- fantastic. And so do the epidural, and we, we were getting to talking. Her husband delivered, like, half of them, and then he had midwives for the other half, and, like, sisters delivered them. So she had wow. – she ran, and she was having them out in the sticks. So oh, she lived God. in Alaska, and oh, they my. were – 
so they they she went through and 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 had the baby and everything was great and then about a month later um i get called in to do an epidural and i'm talking to this woman and she's in labor and i'm like oh so how many babies you had she said it was her 12th baby and i said oh how'd the other deliveries go she said well i had him out in the woods with a midwife and or my husband delivered him oh and i was like you would not believe it and she said you know this is my first epidural i've ever had and i said on your 12th baby <laughs> and uh and again you know i asked her i was like you wouldn't believe a month ago, I had a patient. It was her 13th baby, and it was her first epidural. And she's like, oh, yeah, that was my sister. Oh, no oh my way. gosh. <laughs> Only in small communities. Yeah, so, you know, and it went fine. But it and was the just... OBGYN is our brother. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, in small communities. So it's it's great. I really, uh, you know, the thing that I really appreciate about rural healthcare and is that um, – you, you know your patients. Yeah. You know, you know you do. you're walking you do. down the hall and you, and you see them. And, yeah. and you go outside to the grocery store, you're yep. a celebrity nah. in rural communities. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. I mean, they just, they know who you are and they respect you. Absolutely. And when you're in a big system, you often don't get that, right? Mm-hmm. You're just, you know, you're a face, but they can't remember. But here in rural communities, I mean, you're, you're the legend. Yeah. And uh, you have done, you have made a great name for yourself here. And our community is deeply okay. going to miss you. So thanks for all your great care that you provided Hillsdale Hospital. Thank you so much for having me. And um, good luck to all you guys. If you ever Thank need you. anything again, please feel free to contact me. We sure okay. will. Out in Spokane, Washington. <laughs> all right. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, J.J. Fontana, CRNA at the Center for Pain Management at Hillsdale Hospital. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.